like two people around you and say, Happy Easter, Happy Easter. So glad that you are here today. I want to begin with a scripture, John 10.10. John 10.10 perhaps is one of my favorite scriptures. It's probably in the top five of the scriptures that I preach the most from, I know. But it's so powerful because to me it's the whole message of the gospel. John 10.10 says, The thief does not come except to steal, to kill and destroy. Last time I checked, I don't like things being stolen from me. I I don't like things destroyed. Have you ever worked hard for something just to see someone come and just destroy it? If you've got a four-year-old kid, you probably know what I'm talking about. You can work hard building something, doing something, they just come and just plow it down and just... and, and, And I don't know about being killed yet. I pray that that never happens, but I don't think I would like that either. Amen. But look, the thief, the enemy, the devil, everything opposed from God only wants to destroy your life. But that's not the end of the verse. It says, but I have come that you may have life and that you may have life, how? More abundantly. Man, I love this verse because in essence what we see here is two plans. One plan is not good because it's definitely not God. And another which is life-changing and awesome, the life that you can have through God. But the question today is, what part of the verse are you living in? Because one thing I've realized is this, only a choice separates the two. One choice, God, I choose you, and then life can come. And that's what we pray will happen for you today. I just want to read a devotional that Miss Nancy posted a couple of weeks ago. We send out a daily devotional with a scriptural reading every day. If you are not on that list, then do that. But she sent something out last week, and I was like, wow, I love that. We've got to read that for Easter, and it's called Barabbas and You. Barabbas and You. And it goes to say, the Bible says, with one voice they cried out that day, away with Jesus and release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. He was a murderer. But yet the crowd that day shouted, crucify Christ. Release to us Barabbas. And just like Barabbas, the devotional says, we deserve to die for our sins. Four prison walls thick with fear, hurt and hate surround us. We're incarcerated by our past our low road choices, our high-minded pride. We've been found guilty. We sit on the floor of a dusty cell waiting for that final moment. The executioner's footprints echo against the stone walls. Head between knees, we don't even dare to look up as he opens the door. We don't lift our eyes, but yet we hear words. But what we hear is something we don't expect. You are free to go. What? Yes, they took Jesus instead of you. The door swings wide open and the guard barks, get out. And we find ourselves in the light. Of the morning sun, shackles gone, crimes pardoned, wondering what just happened. Grace happened. Grace happened. 
Because Christ took away our sins, all of them, and where did he take them? He took them to the top of a hill called Calvary. Wow, what a beautiful thought there. What a beautiful picture. Us deserving the penalty, the death. But yet Jesus took our sin. Jesus took our place. And today we can talk about grace from the top of a hill called Calvary. The single greatest act of love that this world has ever seen and displayed as Jesus hung upon a cross for each and every one of us. And that's why we're calling this message, Love Starts Here. Because we believe that love is found through Christ and everything that he has available for every one of us. It's pretty interesting that while Jesus hung on the cross, scriptures record in the four Gospels, the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke and John that we read at the beginning of the New Testament in our Bibles. It's recorded that Jesus speaks seven different times upon the cross. One of those particular times is what I want to focus in on this morning and it comes from Luke chapter 23 verses 34 and 35 and I'm reading from the Message Bible because I love how it presents it. It says these words, Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed. When I, when I wrote those words down on the page, I couldn't go to the next word yet because I had to just stop and think, hold on a second. Wow, think about what's happening. He's in agony upon a cross being crucified, but yet what's he doing? He's not cursing mankind. He is praying for mankind. What love, such love. I mean, and he wasn't just praying a prayer for those who were gathered that day. He was praying a prayer that included you and I. He prayed for you upon the cross. And what did he pray? He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Man, that's a pretty common statement of sin, isn't it? We didn't know what we were doing. If you were to ask people and say, well, why did you do that? You're like, man, I have got no clue. I was not thinking. Anyone with me on that? You look back in your life and you think, whatever was I? The fact was you probably weren't thinking, amen? Whatever was I thinking? You look back with total stupidity. Let's just call it what it is. But I'm so glad that no matter the stupidity of our life, Jesus says what? There's forgiveness for that. There is forgiveness for that. And it goes on to say, dividing up his clothes, they threw a dice for him. Can you see the total disrespect and humiliation? This is that you're hanging naked on a cross and at your feet, they are dividing your garments. They are fighting over your clothing. That last thing that you had to hold on to. But yet it's fulfillment to scripture. It's fulfillment of prophecy. And the people who stood there They stood staring at Jesus and, notice, the ringleaders. Who were the ringleaders? They're the ones who brought false accusations of Jesus. They're the ones who paid off the crowd because they didn't really want Barabbas, but the crowd paid them off and said, we'll give you money if you shout that Jesus be crucified and release Barabbas. It was the religious leaders that were the ringleaders, the ones who crucified Christ. And they made faces at him. They taunted him, the Bible says. And they said, he saved other people. Let's see if he can save 
himself. I'm glad he didn't listen to their words that day. Why? Because it wasn't about saving himself. It was about saving mankind. He was on a mission sent from God for you and I. Oh, Jesus could have come off that cross. It wasn't nails that held him to a cross. It was the love that he had for you and I. The Bible says he could have called thousands of angels to come to his rescue. But yet he remained silent. And gave the forgiveness to mankind. Oh, he's the Messiah of God. Ha! Look at you now. The chosen one? Ha! Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. What love. What love. I think everyone that day experienced something that they would never let go of. The centurion who crucified Jesus, you can read in one of the accounts, he got down on his knees and said, truly you are the Son of God. An experience happened that day when the clouds grew dark and the day turned to night and there was a veil that was rent in two and the earth shook. But I believe that day, just watching the moments that people saw that day, the experience that they had, that everyone left, completely changed. They maybe didn't know what it was. There was just something they sensed that day. That's why we try to advertise. That's why we try to tell people that come to one of our experiences. We try not to call them a service anymore. And you can say, well, what's the difference? Why? Because we want people not just to come somewhere. We want people to be changed. We want people to feel, we've seen people during the praise and worship, during the service, they don't know what it is, but you feel it. Maybe today you're feeling it, you don't know what it is. I'm telling you right now, it's an experience of God that wants to change your life and change your heart from the inside out. That day was no normal day. And for months afterwards, I believe people were talking and saying, wow, can you remember that man on a hill? something different about who he was. Today I want to read a story that Jesus taught earlier in his life. It's called a parable. It's what Jesus did. He took earthly things and he gave them a heavenly meaning. That's what the parable is. And in Luke chapter 10, we're going to begin in verse 25 because I want to set the scene for this story. And it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? What does the law say? And the man replied, and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, verse 28, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. But the man wanting to justify himself said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Here we have a conversation between a lawyer and Jesus. A conversation that's based around a question. What was the question? What must I do to receive eternal life? Read on verse 30. Then Jesus answered and said to him, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell amongst the thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. 
Now by chance, a certain priest, say with me, priest, came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He took a wide berth around. He probably tried to act like he didn't even see the problem. Come on, I've seen some of you in your cars driving around town. I know the type of people that you are. Come on right now. You know someone's trying to get in and you can feel them. You can almost see them. But you ain't going to make eye contact with them. Because if you make eye contact with them, you have to let them in. Come on, you can feel them. You're like, man. mm, 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 mm." Come on, I've seen you. I've seen you because I'm probably the one that's trying to cut in. And I see you. We, We know who you are. We know who you are. But what happens, the moment you make eye contact, it's over, isn't it? Because you can't really look at people and go. Next thing you know you have to do when you make eye contact is, even if you don't want to, reluctantly you do. Reminds me also of playing hide and seek with kids. Anyone ever played hide and seek with kids? It's pretty encouraging and pretty incredible to play hide and seek with a kid because kids can hide out in the open and they are shocked when you find them. (laughs) And why are they shocked? Because they think if they close their eyes, if they can't see you, then you can't see them. And so we're playing hide and seek with Judah and he's like right in the middle of the room and you're like, we found you. He's like, what? How? Because when we, and that's how we can be many times in life. We can close our eyes to the needs that are all around us and we think as long as I don't see it or act like I see it, then I don't have to do anything about it. That's what the priest did that day. He saw the need, but he acted like he didn't. And he went by on the other side. Verse 32, and likewise a Levite, say with me, a Levite. When he arrived at the place, he came and looked, but passed by on the other side. At least he makes an effort. At least he comes over to examine the situation. He's assessing what is going on. He came and looked, the Bible says, but in his looking, he determines something, and that is this. That's too inconvenient for me. I don't have time for that. It's too bloody. It's too much of a mess. I'm going to get all my nice clothes messed up. And by the way, I'm on the way to church, and I'm on the way to Bible study anyway, and I can't be late. So what does he do? He passes by. On the other side, away from the need. Verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, say with me, Samaritan. As he journeyed, he came to where this man was. And when he saw him, here's the difference. He had compassion on him. Please note, the need is the same. In every situation, the need is the same. But the response... Is different. So he went to him and he bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine, not quite neosporin or peroxide, but the equivalent of the day. And he set him on his own donkey animal and he brought him to an inn and he took care of him there. And on the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper, and he said to him, this is the first words that are recorded that he says. Everything else he's done up to now is just an action. It's just showing love. It's meeting a need. 
And these are the first words that he says. And he says, would you take care of him? And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will. Say with me, I will. will. Come on, say it again, I will. What is he will? And he says, I will repay. I'll take care of whatever the bill may be. Wow, love starts here. And so which of these three, Jesus said, do you think was the neighbor to who, him who fell amongst the thieves? In other words, who was the one that brought the healing and the hope for his life? Who changed his life that day? And the lawyer said, he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. I believe there's more here than Jesus just telling that lawyer to go and take care of someone else in need. As important as that is, and when we have the ability to be able to help, I believe that we should reach out and help people in need. In fact, I think that can be a differentiating factor between us as children of God, that we're showing the love of God in our lives and in what we do. But I believe... We've got to go back to the original question because that's the thought today. The man said to Jesus, what is it that I must do to receive eternal life? And I believe from this story we are presented with three different options or choices. We see what? Here they are. We see the priest, we see the Levite, and we see the... Samaritan, known now as the good Samaritan for obvious reasons, because of the good that he did. But today I want to have a closer look at those three, because I believe something is being seen in here that Jesus would say to everyone, now that's what I want you to go and do. Go and do. The first one is religion. Religion. Religion is represented by the priest. Religion is the way that most people choose to try to find Jesus. Even today, that's what most people choose. They are part of a religion. They follow the laws and the rituals and the acts as a way to get to Christ. Good people who are doing that, but listen, looking to the wrong things for the right answers. The answer they need in life, they will not find, but yet religion will leave you empty. It will leave you questioning. It will leave you wondering what's happening. It's amazing when you would read through the Gospels and the accounts and the story of Jesus, the main opposition that he had to his ministry while he was here on this earth was religion. Remember, it was the religious leaders that what crucified him. It was the religious leaders that were trying to get... And do away with him because he was a threat. Here he is healing and touching and ministering to people. We can't allow that. Because Jesus came to bring a breath of fresh air. You know what it's like to live in Louisiana. We know the heat. But how good does it feel when you step into that air conditioning and you just feel that and you're like, ah. That was what Jesus did. Everywhere he went, people were like, ah. Because he didn't come to give more rules. He didn't come to bring a religion. But he came to be a relationship. And not a distant relationship, but a personal relationship that he wanted to have each and every one of us experience. 
I know in my life I've encountered and witnessed numerous testimonies of those who said these words, I didn't find what I was looking for in religion. One of those is my wife, Kelly. Kelly was raised Catholic. And she says even as a little girl, she had asked her mom for a Bible and she would go to the little prayer chapel at the side of the church and she said she would sit there for hours and pray. Why? Because she said she always knew there was more. There was something more. In it all, she said there was something that drew her in. There had to be more. And thank God she found that more one day at a summer camp. She found Jesus as her personal Lord and Savior. And she said, and all of a sudden, she said, I recognized and realized everything they were trying to present. But she says, now I had the answer. And his name is Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, I believe we see a picture of this. The Bible says, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. God wants, or Satan, the God of this age, he wants to blind our minds. He wants us to believe something that's not true, for us to fumble through life looking at the wrong things, who do not believe, lest the light look of the glorious gospel, there's an illumination, there's a light, there's a hope who is the image of God, should shine in them. We want to be blinded, we want to be deadened to that. That's what religion wants to do to our lives, to put us in darkness. And what happens, just like the priest, there's a need. But there's no answer to that need as we watch the answers go by on the other side of the road and pass us by. Why? Look at this statement. Religion will never bring the healing and freedom to your life that Jesus gives. Religion brings rules. Jesus brings freedom. Religion walks by still leaving you in need. The second part is this. Good works. Good works. We see this represented by the Levite. A Levite meant this. He was a worker or a helper at the temple. That was his role. He worked in the temple. So therefore, I believe that we see another way that many people try to get to God is this, through good works. If I just do good deeds, if I'm good, if I'm kind, if I'm compassionate, if I help that old lady across the street, if I do this and if I say please and thank yous, then God knows my heart and everything is going to be okay. God sure does know your heart because that's where he always starts from. But the Bible says this, our righteousness is as filthy rags. Meaning no matter what good we do and if we are capable of doing any good, that good is never enough. That we can never earn the right to receive the penalty for our sins. Ephesians 2, 8 And 10 says this, God saved you by His grace when you believed, and you cannot take credit for this, for it is a gift from God, a free gift that He wants. What do we know about a gift? It just has to be received. Just has to be received. Verse 9, salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. The thought there is none of us can take credit for it. Well, listen, I'm a good person, so that's why. That's what a lot of people want to take credit for in their lives. For we are, you are, are you ready for it? You are God's masterpiece. I love that. Something not impersonal and distant. 
But something prepared, something special. You're not hidden in a back room somewhere. You're on the mantelpiece, on top of the fireplace, that everyone who comes into God's house sees you. Don't get, come on, you're looking at me crazy. Yeah, God's got a picture of you on the mantelpiece in heaven. Because he loves you that much. Because you were made for relationship. And the Bible says he created you anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Oh yeah, do good things. But now because of what? Because of relationship with him. Why? Because faith has the byproduct of works. Not works has the byproduct of faith. Let me say it this way. Are you ready? Works will never produce faith, but faith will always be manifested in works. Because when you give your life to Christ, everything changes. Our vision statement here at our church is this. Life starts, love happens, and purpose is revealed. I want to focus on that middle bit. Love happens. Why does love happen? Just because what we talked about, as a product of salvation, as a product of God coming and experiencing His love, what happens? We now love like we've never loved before. You can't give what you haven't got. And so we believe that through God, what we get, we can now give. A life that's changed will now change other people and be a change to this world. But our works cannot do it on their own. Why? Because Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned. It doesn't matter how good you think you are today. I hate to break it to you. You're a sinner. Because the Bible says all have sinned and what? Fall short of the glory of God. The thought is fall well short. We like to think that we're really close. We, we like to think that we're pretty good and we're almost perfect. Come on, how many Mary Poppins do we have in the house? Anyone like that show? I love that show. Perfect in every way, Mary Poppins. We, we like to think that we're perfect. We like to think at least we're close. And God says, you are so far removed from where you need to be. It is not funny. And so we look at that and say, well, what's the requirements? How can I ever be, oh, what am I going to do? What? Relax. I said, relax. It's not that hard because here's the reality. Are you ready? It's not in doing anything, but it's in surrendering. Surrendering. And just saying to God, God, here I am. Take what I am and change me into who you are. Ah. So what did the Levite do? He looked. He came a little bit closer, but he still wasn't the answer to meet the need that we have in our lives. The third person is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He's represented by the Samaritan, the good Samaritan. You see, here's what we've got to understand, and maybe you know this already. But the Samaritans and the Jews of that day despised each other. There was such a distinct racial strain between the Samaritans and the Jews, the people of Samaria and the Jews. They didn't interact with each other. And in many cases, there was such hostility and downright hatred. I think it's really incredible out of anyone and anything that Jesus could have chosen to illustrate this story. I believe he comes to show a picture for our lives today. Because God comes to break all walls of division 
and prejudice. Let me say that again. Jesus' salvation breaks every wall of division and prejudice. The answer that we need to what's happening in our country today is not let's sit down and talk about it. I believe in that. And I believe we need to educate our children. They aren't born with hatred. That's something that's taught. But listen to me, what the answer needs to be is it has to be a change of heart. And it's not just for this nation, is it? It's for our community because we've seen it again this week. What we're a part of and what we're seeing. Come on, God, when He looks at mankind, He doesn't see race. Why? Because He sees grace. Because He has given His grace to every single one of us. In God's eyes, we're all the family and we're all the same. So picture this, back to the story. The Samaritan is the most unlikely source or person that you would ever have assumed would step in and help in this situation. As soon as he mentioned that word Samaritan, man, you could just feel the response to the people of that day. What? And then when he began to talk about how he helped and healed, they were probably like, what? Because if there was a hundred people that they could have picked, the Samaritan would have been the hundred and first. What do you mean? They didn't want him. We don't want that. But he was the only one who stopped and helped. I believe we see so many parallels to the Samaritan that we see in Christ. Why? Because there was no room at an inn, remember? So he had to be born in a stable, in a manger. And all his life, what do we see of Jesus? Everywhere he turned and every person almost he came in contact with, he was rejected for really who he was. They didn't accept him, the religious leaders of that day, they didn't accept him as the Messiah. In fact, one day Jesus was sitting with sinners, the Bible says. I love that. He was having a meal with sinners. And in walks a prostitute off the street. And she comes to the feet of Jesus. She takes some perfume and she pours it on his feet. And with the tears that are streaming down her face, she begins to wash his feet and dries his feet with her hair. And the Bible says she constantly kissed his feet. And one of the religious leaders was there saying, if he was a prophet, he would know what manner of woman this was. You see, they ridiculed him. They rejected him. They said, this man is a fake. This man is a phony. There's nothing real about him. And that's why they wanted to get him out of the way and crucify him. The Bible says Pilate had a sign that was made over the cross. John 19, 21. And the chief priest, they came and they said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews because that's what he wrote. Over the head of Jesus as he hung upon a cross, there was the words, the king of the Jews. They said, don't write the king of the Jews, but write these words. He said, I am the king of the Jews. They denied who he was. They didn't accept him. But I'm so glad that even though he was rejected by man, he was still the son of God. He was still the son of God. And John 3.16, for this is how God loved 
the world. I'm telling you, the love of God started way before the cross. The love of God was just manifested upon a cross. It was made what reachable and obtainable to us upon a cross. But I'm telling you, the love of God spanned way back before that because His love gave His only Son that everyone who believes in Him... Come on, that's the gospel in three words right there. Believes in Him. Not in a religion... Not in trying to do good, but whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. I'm so glad Jesus, just like the good Samaritan, he wants to step into my brokenness today. He wants to mend me. He wants to soothe me. He wants to patch me up. He wants to fix me up. He wants to restore me. But I'm glad he doesn't leave me down. He picks me up. He puts me on his donkey. He carries me to a place of safety. And when I get to that place of safety, he prepares for my future. And he totally restores my life. I wonder today what in your life needs restoring. I wonder what's bloody and broken today that needs help, that needs healing. Maybe it's your marriage today, you're struggling. Maybe you've already even filed for divorce. God can fix your marriage. God can heal your marriage. God can restore your marriage. Maybe it's an addiction that you're battling with. Even right now, you're struggling because you need that next fix. I'm telling you right now, Jesus can bring that freedom that you need, that nothing else can bring. Whatever the struggle is of your life, I'm telling you, He is healing. He is peace. He is restoration. He is everything that you need today. Remember the Good Samaritan, the only words he said, Luke 10, 35. Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay. In other words, the debt's been paid. Come on, I said he paid the debt of sin once and for all, for every one of you, that no matter what, God is the answer to your need. You remember I said that Jesus said seven words on the cross or spoke seven times? Another one of the seven was this. He cried out, it is finished. That was not the last words he said upon the cross. Because he then committed his soul and his life to God. But when he cried out, it is finished. That's an old accounting term that means tetelestai in the original Greek. And those words mean this, paid in full. When he hung upon a cross, he said, I have paid in full the debt of sin. Come on, he took our place and became the sacrifice for you and I to pay in free. Come on, religion won't do that from you. Religion just wants more from you. Give me more, take more. Good works puts you on that pedestal that you have to perform. And Jesus said, it's no matter what you do or your performance, come as you are. Because I have already paid the price. Here Jesus was, ridiculed, despised, and rejected by man. Yet, the Savior of the world. Listen to this story. There is an amazing contrast between what took place 
in the Garden of Gethsemane and the Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden is where Adam and Eve were in the beginning. The Garden of Gethsemane was the garden that Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done, just before he was to be crucified. The story goes on to say, not your way, but mine, was the response of Adam and Eve to God in the first garden. We're not going to believe you, we're going to go our own way. We're going to go after that thing that we shouldn't, but we're going to go, we don't want your way, God, we're going to go after our way. But what a contrast that we see in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because Jesus prayed, not my way, but God, your way. And as he prayed that to the Father, he did that even knowing that God's way meant suffering and death. But through his suffering and death, he brought redemption for the whole world. What we see in the two gardens is the difference between sin and salvation. Because sin is this. Sin says, I want to do it my way. Sin says, I want to live my way. Sin says, I want to pay the price for my own sins. Because that's what we're doing. We think we can pay the price. That's sin. But salvation says, God, no longer my way. But God, I want to trust only in you. God, I cannot pay the price that you already paid. So God, I humble myself and I give my life to you. Upon a cross, what did Jesus pray? Father, forgive them. Today, I want you to know something. If you hear nothing else, what I've said in this message, please hear this today. There is nothing that Christ is incapable of forgiving. There is nothing. Nothing. And he doesn't want to just end with the forgiving part. He wants to take the life that's forgiven. And he wants to mend you. He wants to heal you. He wants to restore you. Taking your hurts and pains. And turning around every test of life. Into a testimony of the goodness and mercy of God. Listen to me today. I'm glad he's not passing by on the other side of the street. I'm glad he's not closing his eyes to your need today, saying, if I don't see him, then I don't have to meet that need. Phew, I got away with that. I'm glad that Jesus, his eyes are fixed on you today, and he is waiting to step into your situation, and he's ready to pick you up, and to heal you, and to mend you, and to make you whole. That's the God that I want to serve. You'll never find that in religion. You'll never find that in yourself, but you will find it in Christ. Why do we do what we do each and every Sunday? We do it so people would know God. We want you to know God today. We want you to know a God that plans on coming to meet your need today, but never leaving. Why do we know that? Because Hebrews 13.5 says this, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. As I close today, here's what you need to know. In a life of uncertainties, who can testify to that? Uncertainties of life, many uncertainties of life. 
But you know, in every uncertainty of life, there's still something that you can know. Many years ago, I, I chose this for my life, and I pray that you choose the same. I chose that I will not build my life upon what I don't know, but I will build my life upon what I do know. I've done funerals for kids. I, I, I don't understand that. I said, I don't understand that. As I see parents weeping over a casket, I don't understand all that. I don't understand how everyone we pray for doesn't get healed, how some do and some don't. I don't understand. I don't know everything. Are you with me on that? I don't know everything. But you know what? I can be tormented by what I don't know, or I can build my life upon what I do know. And that's what I have chosen to do, and that's what I want you to do. And here's four confessions that I have in my life. Are you ready? Here's four beliefs that I have in my life. Number one is this. I know that God loves me. Number two, I know that God has the best for me. It may look rough right now, but I know that God is going to bring me through. Come on. I know that God has a plan for me. And I know that God will bring me through. And I'm here to tell you today, nothing else can make a claim of that on your life. Religion can't do that. Friendships can't do that. Money can't do that. Wealth and fame can't do that. But Jesus can. And here's what I want every one of you to do today. Whether you believe it or receive it or not, right now. Come on, I want you to make this confession. Are you ready? Come on, say it with me. Are you ready? I know God loves me. I know God wants the best for me. I know God has a plan for me. I know God will bring me through. Come on, one more time. I know God loves me. I know God wants the best for me. I know God has a plan for me. I know God will bring me through. Come on. Come on. I know. I said, I know. But today it doesn't matter whether I know. What matters is this. Do you know? 